Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Live from New York, I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Stimulus stalemate, U.S. lawmakers have just 10 days to agree more support before aid runs out. Mars mission, the UAE leading the race to the red planet and mission impossible again. EU leaders begin a fourth day of rescue package talks. It's Monday, let's make a move. Welcome once again to First Move. I hope you all had a safe and restful weekend or a good start to the week, depending on where you are. Coming up this hour, an update from the chairman of COVID vaccine developer Moderna. Their research, of course, ever more urgent, has confirmed global cases hit some 14 million. Also important, though, thankfully, more than 8 million people have now recovered. But there's plenty of medical buzz out there today. Shares of biotech firm Synergen rocketing higher today on news of its COVID treatment. Plenty of warnings, though, flooding in from the medical community at the same time, though. So investors beware cautiousness surrounding all of these things. And while the science continues to race ahead, the stimulus talks, meanwhile, are more of a crawl. The battle in Brussels continues today and talks begin in D.C. We've got the latest for you. And while we wait, here's the stock market picture. Keep an eye on tech. Yet again this week, we've got IBM, Intel and Microsoft all reporting results. Also an eye on the energy sector too. Chevron buying Shell player Noble Energy for some $5 billion in stock. And a third eye, yes, it's that kind of day, on Chinese stocks up 3% today after last week's drop. Regulators will now allow insurers to buy equities too and that helping sentiment there. But the macro remains a big challenge. Japanese export activity falling by a quarter last month. That's the fourth straight month of double-digit drops. Japan and the rest of the region need a strong global economy, including a strong U.S. consumer, let's be clear, to snap up their goods. That looking increasingly challenges as America's COVID emergency deepens. Let's get to our drivers. The U.S. reporting more than 61,000 new cases yesterday. Yesterday alone, the death toll has now surpassed 140,000 people. Diane Gallagher has all the details. In the heart of Miami Beach's nightlife district, an 8 p.m. curfew and fines starting at $50 when people fail to wear a mask. All efforts to help slow the spread of the coronavirus here and keep residents out of hospitals. At least 49 facilities across the state have no ICU beds available. Well, the biggest factor is that since we 
uh, got out of the stay-at-home order uh, in April, uh, we've seen uh, just an incredible growth in terms of, of the virus. Uh, you know, people have essentially behaved as if uh, the virus didn't exist. For the fourth time this month, Florida reporting over 12,000 new cases in one day. We had many states, Florida included, that lifted restrictions too early that allowed people to go without masks, uh, still don't mandate masks in many of these states, uh, and that have allowed businesses to reopen in a way that's frankly really irresponsible when you have uh, widespread community transmission. Meantime, in Washington, President Trump says it should be up to governors to decide, pushing back against the suggestion to nationally mandate facial coverings, despite the CDC and most health experts making it clear Americans should wear them to prevent transmission of the virus. No, I want people to have a certain freedom, and I don't believe in that, no. And I don't agree with the statement that if everybody wear a mask, everything disappears. And according to Trump, the days of the coronavirus will eventually be over. I'll be right eventually. <laughs> I will I be right eventually. You know, I said it's going to disappear. I'll say it again. But does it's that going dis- to disappear. Does that discredit and you? I'll be right. But there's no sign of the virus disappearing anytime soon. Instead, the average number of new weekly cases is rising in at least 31 states. We need to do better than we're doing because cases are going up, that's clear. Uh, America as a whole is not doing well. People are lapsing in in their caution, right? They're, They're lapsing in their need to engage in social distancing. Arizona passing a grim milestone with its highest number of deaths in a single day since the start of the pandemic. California announcing over 9,300 new infections Sunday. Los Angeles County accounted for more than 2,800 of those, most of them people under the age of 41. The mayor of Los Angeles says the city could soon be under another stay-at-home order. I think we're on the brink of that. It's not just what's open and closed. It's also about what we do individually. Diane Gallagher reporting there now with the pandemic surging, as you heard there, and a cash benefit cliff fast approaching. The need for another relief package is clear. The problem is getting Congress to agree to it. Lawmakers return from recess to begin those negotiations today. Christine Romans joins me now. Christine, great to have you with us. We're waiting now for the contours, the details of the Republican plan. Three trillion dollars agreed by the Democrats in the House weeks and weeks and weeks ago. The question is, where's the meat in the middle here? Yeah, mind the gap, right? A $2 trillion gap there in the middle. And what's it going to look like? We know that uh, the the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has said he wants their plan to be about jobs, kids and health care, that that has to be the overwhelming focus. We know the president just told Chris Wallace on Fox News this weekend, in fact, that uh, if there's not a payroll tax cut, that he could veto the whole thing. He could he could decide not to do another stimulus. But we do know Uh, Julia, that what the recovery looks like depends on what they decide on here. And we know that in a matter of days, 25 million people will have thousands of dollars less every month because those enhanced unemployment benefits are going to expire. They are in the House version. There's less enthusiasm among Republicans who see a disincentive to go back to work. But clearly, there's a lot of work to do here in just a a very tight window to, you know, cement what the recovery will look like. I mean, you'd be forgiven for being confused when you look at this, a potential tax cut for those people that are working and a reduction in benefits for people that have lost their jobs. Uh, I'm sure there's a logic there somewhere, but it's failing me at this moment. The other disagreement, critically, I think, is on testing. We know we need to ramp up testing capabilities. For months, we've been saying a national plan is required to coordinate this and speed up the response of tests that are done. 
And yet the White House doesn't want to do that, it seems. There is no leadership from the president on this at all. And you heard him say, I'll be right eventually. When right now you have economists and governors and hospital directors and Americans saying we need to have comprehensive leadership on, on the federal level for testing and tracing and and also, you know, mask wearing and self-isolation. These are just not messages that are coming from the White House and coming from the president at this time. He's much more... Uh, interested in opening up schools and opening up business. And you can't do one without the other. These things go hand in hand. So it's a very kind of critical moment here. Uh, What Congress decides on doing here, I think, is going to be fascinating because you still have small businesses that are trying to get started and then suddenly they're stopping again. I don't think you're going to see a wholesale shutdown of the American economy again, but you're going to see parts of this country that will be starting and stopping over and over again. That's why the Republicans are so keen on on liability protection for, for, for hospitals, for companies, for small businesses for people who are trying to reopen so they can't get sued uh, if someone catches COVID uh, because of an open economy. Yeah, masks, testing, get the virus under control and then you won't have to put so much money in because the economy will be able to function more normally. Um, Yes. The president's comment about he'll be right eventually, I just keep thinking how much damage could be done long-term to the American economy before eventually... You're right. And the uh, and the virus is under control with a vaccine. A lot of damage can be done before eventually. Yeah, we can handle this. We just have to do better. Christine Romans, thank you so much for that. And it's not about politics. It doesn't have to be. The UK, meanwhile, expected to suspend extraditions to Hong Kong. The British Foreign Secretary will shortly announce the results of a treaty review. It comes as China warned the UK to avoid further damage to their relationship. David Cover is in Beijing for us. David, it doesn't look like the UK is going to be able to avoid this. And actually, they're only following other nations like the United States and Australia. The fear here is that national security law will mean people get extradited to, to China and then there's no control. That's right. And add Canada to that list, by the way. So you're right. They'd be the fourth country doing this. Nonetheless, it would anger China, as we heard from the foreign ministry today, saying there would be a resolute reaction. But look, Julia, we've heard with every step taken against China recently, be it from the U.S., from the U.K., from Australia, from Canada, they have said they would meet it with necessary measures. And and yet they haven't really put out too many specifics just yet. We've seen some sanctioning of U.S. officials but it falls short there. So it remains to be seen what they're going to do with the UK as it looks like the UK is going to move this direction. In fact, we heard from Prime Minister Boris Johnson just a short time ago, and he said that the UK will be making a change to its extradition treaty. He refrained from giving too much detail, deferring instead to the foreign secretary who will be speaking at some point, we presume, today. And all of this ahead of Secretary of State Mike Pompeo's visit to the UK, in which he has stated as of last week the top of the agenda will no doubt be the Chinese Communist Party. And it's been interesting to hear the very specific direction that he's been putting that uh, criticism towards the party itself here in China, not China as a whole. And it seems like there is an intention there to then kind of split away from the nationalist base that's currently in place here. So and going forward, I mean, this is all, of course, rooted in this national security law, which has only been in effect for roughly three weeks. But in that time, we have seen... Hong Kong lose its special trade status with the U.S. We've seen sanctions brought uh, against Chinese officials, and yet more is expected to come, according to the Chinese foreign ministry, if the U.K. moves in this direction, Julia. Yeah, and it's all before we've really seen this law being put to use. 
we know that its mandate is incredibly broad. Right. And the question is going to be, how does China use it and when? And we still don't know that. No, we don't. And, and I think that's what China is also trying to emphasize as well. They're saying this is about secession, subversion, terrorism, and trying to deter the foreign influences, which they say the UK doing this, Canada doing this, Australia, the US, that is exactly what they're trying to push against. And that's why they say they put this law into place because they feel like Hong Kong has been used as sort of the cultivating ground for these foreign forces. Of course, that's the Chinese perspective. Pro-democracy protesters would say it has nothing to do with that. It's about protecting our rights and protecting the autonomy that the Chinese had promised in that handover back in 97. Yes. David Cobber, great to have you with us as always. Thank you for that. All right, let me bring you up to speed now with some of the other stories that are making headlines around the world. A U.S. federal judge's son was killed and her husband was injured after a gunman opened fire at her New Jersey home on Sunday. The FBI says it's searching for one suspect. One source tells CNN the gunman appeared to be wearing a FedEx delivery uniform. China is implementing strict measures in the capital of Xinjiang province after a spike in coronavirus cases. A wartime state, quote, has been declared, which reported 17 new infections on Sunday. Before that, authorities said it had not recorded a single case in nearly five months. The United Arab, Arab Emirates has become the first Arab country to set out for Mars. The Hope probe launched Sunday from an island in Japan. The UAE expects the vessel to be in Mars orbit by February. Our John Defterius joins us. John, fantastic images. And wow, what a success for the UAE to, uh, to launch yeah. this rocket. The first of three, I believe, this year and leading uh, the United States and China. Yes, it's a kind of a new frontier, right, uh, Julia? But we often talk about what? Stretch targets in the business community. Uh, this is the ultimate stretch target because it's nearly a half a billion kilometers on this uh, journey into the Mars orbit. But at the same time, it kind of gives a rebirth to the Arab region, which was very active in astronomy, for example, between the 9th and the 16th century, and then kind of got parked without the innovation. And this is an effort to rekindle that, if you will. Uh, the man who planted the seeds is the, the ruler of Dubai and also the Prime Minister of the United Arab Emirates, Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum. And I remember visiting the Space Center four years ago. Is this really going to happen by 2021? And the answer is yes. But there's a business strategy behind this, behind Dubai Inc., if you will, and the broader UAE. They want to stay one step ahead of their competition in the region. Saudi Arabia, Qatar kind of nipping at the hills, or whether it's airlines or airports, right? Artificial intelligence. They're testing hyperloops here. Uh, flying taxi uh, prototypes are there. So Dubai doesn't want to be seen in the regional context, although this is a, the first major move by an Arab nation into space, uh, but in a global context that we can do this here and now. Uh, it's not cheap, uh, six years, $200 million, but they think it takes them in a whole new direction when it comes to R&D, Julia. Yeah, absolutely. They're owning the satellite technology, the skies is the future of technology, whichever way you choose to look at it. Mm. But also for for the UAE, isn't this also about galvanizing this sort of entrepreneurial spirit, the focus on STEM technology and, and education, for example, too? This is a nation that we know needs to diversify away from, from things like oil. Uh, yeah, it's a perfect point you're making here because there is an energy transition underway and then the 
the length of that transition is anywhere from what, 25 to 50 years. We don't know. And Dubai doesn't sit on the oil wealth that Abu Dhabi has in the Emirate I'm sitting in right now. Uh, so they're I- introducing a whole new generation to STEM research, particularly women, by the way. Uh, Sarah Olamiri, for example, is the Minister of Advanced uh, Sciences and looking after this HOPE mission, if you will, or Alamal in uh, Arabic. But 10 of the uh, 33 cabinet members are women, but men or women, they're a new, younger generation, educated universities here and abroad, and they want them to push into a new kind of higher echelon in terms of uh, studies as well. But there's another, again, strategy. Every time you have Dubai or Sheikh Mohammed kind of driving this, they're thinking of the expo in October 21. It was delayed because of, of, of course, the pandemic. But this HOPE mission will enter the Mars orbit in February 2021, right? So it's great for the theme of connecting minds and creating the future for the expo, but it's also the 50th anniversary of the UAE, right? This is connectivity. Uh, It is expensive, but it does take them into an area that nobody in this region is competing with, but in the likes of the United States and China. And that's how they want to be compared. And that makes perfect sense to me. John Deftarius, thank you so much for that. We shall watch Mm. its progress. All right, still to come here on the show, the race for a vaccine. Moderna's candidate due to enter final stage trials next week. We've got the chairman with us next. And contact tracing in a nation of 1.3 billion people. We speak to the man in charge of India's government app. That's coming up. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move, live from New York, where we have our first big heat wave of the summer. Sweltering temperatures, but a cool start to the trading week as investors await earnings from almost one-fifth of S&P 500 companies this week. S&P wannabe Tesla reporting Wednesday, too. Another profitable quarter for them could clear the way for inclusion in the S&P 500, too. So that's one to watch. And we've got some energetic deal making today to Chevron buying shale producer Noble Energy for a $5 billion all stock sum. It's the largest deal in the sector since the pandemic hit all prices, of course, too. And it could be a big week for vaccine hopes as well. In the UK, we expect an update on the Oxford University AstraZeneca trial within hours. Meanwhile, here in the United States, execs from the five companies leading the race for a vaccine testify before Congress tomorrow. Among them is Moderna, which is set to enter the final trial phase for its vaccine candidate next week. And I'm pleased to say joining us now is Nubora Fine. He's chairman of Moderna. He's also the founder and CEO of Flagship Ventures. So fantastic to have you on the show once again. Uh, the last time we spoke, you'd released a, a small portion of your trial that's now finished. Now you've presented pretty pleasing results in terms of the creation of neutralizing antibodies. Talk us through your results and what we can expect in the, the final phase. Julia, thanks for having me again. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, yes, indeed, uh, we did publish in the New England Journal of Medicine uh, with, with our collaborators at the NIAID um, results from the, the phase one trial that indicated that uh, not only did we have antibody levels in all 45 participants, but we had neutralizing antibody levels in all of them. And those levels, importantly, were above uh, the high end of, of the, the, the level that you see in convalescent uh, patient sera. Uh, which is which is at least an indication that the, the robustness of the response uh, mimics or exceeds that of the disease itself. Um, so that that's important. We also indicated some 
uh, additional learnings about the nature of the uh, result as it relates to this uh, particular T-cell response that we saw. So there's some early indications there. The key here is that this is just one step uh, along the journey that will really culminate in a phase three trial that we also announced would be kicking off uh, a week from now. Uh, and so uh, preparations are in their final stages this week uh, to kick that off. That'll be a 30,000 patient trial uh, all over the U.S. Uh, wow. Again, in collaboration with lots of other parties who are, who are helping do this. And so we are, you know, when you said pleasing, I mean, it's, I guess, in the environment that we're in, failure to, fla to fail represents at least progress. And in that regard, uh, it's one step uh, along many to prove a safe and effective vaccine. Yes, you're injecting a, an appropriate amount of, I think, caution here. And, and those that are cautious say neutralizing antibodies here can't be the endpoint because we don't know uh, how long they last. We don't know what level of antibodies is required to provide enough protection. Are we going to be able to have that kind of assessment before this vaccine comes to market, assuming you're, you're happy with what happens in the, the phase three trials? Look, the phase three trials have as their primary endpoint uh, the, the reduction of, of the symptomatic COVID-19 disease. And it has multiple additional secondary endpoints, as we disclosed in our press announcement last week, that cover whether you get infected at all and, and various other measures. And so this is, you know, vaccine development has significant precedent and, and there are best practices, certainly in the U.S., that the FDA has laid out in their guidance of what they expect to see in phase three trials. So I'm quite sure that any of the companies, including Moderna, that carries out a fulsome phase three trial will be able to get the kind of data that supports both a safety claim and an efficacy claim. As to the speculation in the, in, 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 uh, out there, understandably, about how long will these antibodies last, how much of them do we need, et cetera, I think some of this will be known as in any other disease and vaccine over a much longer period of time. And yet that has not kept us in the vaccine world to actually launch vaccines in the sense of whether it will last for five years or one year or 10 years, that matters. But the only way of finding out is actually doing the experiment. And so there are things that you can know ahead of uh, uh, using the vaccine. And there are some things that you will learn in its full uh, deployment over time. Yes, I think they're called first-class problems. Got to get to the point of having a, a vaccine first. Moderna's confirmed yes. that you're in talks with the EU with regards to supplying vaccines to EU nations. Can you give us any further details, any progress on those negotiations? Um, I can't add to what's already been publicly said just due to the nature, the confidential nature of these discussions. But I think what you can see is that countries are uh, in blocks and individually in some cases looking to see what they can secure and what's the combination of vaccine supply that suits their particular desires and needs and when they engage in, in agreements. Uh, these agreements, some of the agreements are intended to be to involve uh, early participation, prepayments and assisting the very development of the vaccine. For example, as you know, the, in the US, there's been substantial government level uh, investment made in the vaccine. In other countries, I think people are assessing just how much they lean in ahead of the vaccine's availability and to what extent one waits till the vaccine's fully tested and available. Of course, you know, one does, can't, can't predict 
whether there will be one vaccine, five vaccines, or 25 vaccines in the fullness of time. And depending on what assumptions you make, uh, then you may want to secure early supply or you may not. And I think those discussions are actively ongoing. I could say that our interactions have all been very productive and, and it really is about data and it's about supply and, and production scales, et cetera. Look, I, I'll also say, as I said last time, we're, we're in the camp of believing that multiple vaccines is what humanity needs to fight this disease because none of the parties, despite announcements, are actually going to be able to produce the quantities needed for the challenge that we're facing. And so the best way to get there is to have multiple approaches and the vaccine get out as quickly as possible to those who need it. The other thing I'll, I'll, I'll just address is that, you know, these vaccines may well have different performance. There may right. be different levels of protection and different levels of side effects. And we're not going to know that until later this fall, early next year. And at that time, it may be too late to secure supply because obviously people are trying to secure it now. So it's a very interesting kind of uh, multi-component optimization that people are doing, and we're doing our best to provide them the data and the information as much as we have it. Yeah, I mean, you're clearly juggling a lot of priorities. To your point, you have to raise money. You need financing in order to be able to do the research. That then ties to who gets priority and who you negotiate with. You pointed out the United States have provided a lot of money. What about for poorer nations? Are you negotiating with any of those and, and who represents them? And how as a company do you look at that? Because there are clearly com countries out there that are going to need a vaccine too. And uh, their ability to negotiate money, etc., is um, highly challenging. Where does Moderna stand on that? Um. As, as I think is well known, uh, there are entities that have been created through CEPI, which is a multi-party entity, and others, the Gavi uh, a coalition, that, that really addresses this issue uh, for low to uh, middle-income countries, broadly speaking. And, and, and I think that there are discussions that are ongoing uh, with, with multiple vaccine suppliers, including Moderna, as to when and to what extent... Uh, the supply will be secured by those countries. And of course, they're in the process of also securing funding to be able to meet that demand. Uh, and so I think that'll be, that's definitely part of our, our uh, target, our, our intent, intention to okay. make sure that our vaccine and the potency it can deliver is made available very broadly. And the good news is we have counterparties. I mean, the, the, it would be daunting challenge for a company like us which does not operate in hundreds of countries as some of the large pharmaceutical companies do, to right. be able to get the vaccine to so many different places. But we're very pleased that there are intermediaries that are filling both the funding and distribution challenges, and we plan to work with them. Perfect. As long as the discussion's being had, I'm happy. Nubar, <laughs> great to have you with us. So yes, please very stay in much touch. So. <laughs> the very chairman much so. of Moderna there. So we'll speak to you again soon. Thank you, and uh, thanks again to your team for all the hard work. All right, the opening bells next. Welcome back to First Move, where U.S. stocks are searching for direction in early trading this morning, although tech stocks are seeing gains. Tech firms, in fact, found themselves in the unusual role of Wall Street laggards last week, with the Nasdaq falling more than 1%. As you can see, Netflix shares tumbled some 6.5% on Friday, under pressure again today following their earnings. So they really set the tone. Plenty to come this week to keep an eye on, to the likes of Microsoft and IBM.
All right. In the meantime, another top priority, Congress back to work and ready to tackle the next emergency aid bill with just days to go before the enhanced benefits runs out for millions of unemployed Americans. Major differences remain and weeks of negotiations appear to lie ahead. The need for a robust fiscal response highlighted by the latest weekly jobless claims reports. Florida, Georgia and California all seeing big jumps in people seeking assistance as COVID cases spike and businesses begin shutting down again. Congressman Brad Sherman joins us from Washington to talk about the outlook for aid. He's also the chairman of the House Financial Services Subcommittee on Investor Protection, which has just launched an investigation into popular trading app Robin Hood. Congressman, great to have you with us and uh, clearly plenty to discuss. I want to start by talking about further financial aid. What are the red lines for the Democrats here upon which you won't back down? I, I think everything is on the table, but uh, and uh, red lines are, are not always red lines. But I think it's critical to us that we have aid for individuals, aid for uh, cities, states and school districts. Um, I think the one thing the Republicans will demand is liability protection. The president is asking for payroll tax relief, but uh, uh, neither Democrats nor Republicans are really embracing that as the most efficient way to get aid to people who need it. What about the $600 bump up in, uh, in benefits on a weekly basis? For many, it's been seen as a lifeline. It's been spent according to a lot of the data out there, but the Republicans are saying it's a disincentive to work. How hard are you going to cling on to that? I think we'll push very hard to extend it in length, whether we get the full 600 in depth or amount uh, is up for negotiation. But I don't think we would come out of this and just tell everybody, boom, it's August 1st and you have nothing uh, in the way of extra unemployment insurance. Something that the House Democrats have already agreed on is more money for testing and for tracing technology. There appears to be disagreement between Republicans now and the White House over providing more money for this. Surely this should be a priority, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. Clearly, Republicans understand it. Democrats understand it. The president somehow believes that if you don't test and you don't discover the cases, that the cases aren't there. If for him, it's not about curing the disease it's uh, or tracing the disease or minimizing the disease. It's about minimizing the numbers on the theory that that will get him reelected. That's absolutely crazy. What's also important in this bill, although it's a small piece of uh, the, uh, the Democratic bill, is to have at least $5 billion for medical research. That's uh, still less than one quarter of 1% of the bill. But we still do need additional treatments. There are so many questions about this disease where you ask experts and they say, we haven't, uh, uh, we don't know yet. We hope someday to do the test, uh, to, to, to do the research and answer that question. So we do need to beat the disease and that requires testing, tracing and research. Congressman, very quickly, do you think something can be agreed in the next 10 days? I think there's pressure on our leaders to get it done in the next 10 days uh, because uh, members are from all over the country and members are reluctant to uh, to get on airplanes uh, these days. Uh, most of us will be flying home in early August. And uh, uh, but uh, other than that, I, I you know, this seems to be more on track for a mid-August, uh, uh, a mid-August uh, solution. So we'll see. I hope very much that we can get something done in the month of July. 
So if it does push into mid-August, though, there are going to be people that have been receiving this bump up in benefits that will simply lose it. That would be uh, uh, one of the many, many reasons why we really need to get this done in the next two weeks. But the parties are pretty far apart. Usually to come that distance takes more than two weeks. We'll see whether the pressure from our constituents, uh, uh, which uh, I think everybody knows, and the additional pressure from the members, uh, which I uh, just illuminated, uh, will, uh, uh, will, will push our leaders toward getting a solution in two weeks. Let's move on and talk about the Robin Hood app. How do you view this app, firstly, uh, Congressman Sherman? Do you, do you see it as democratizing access to financial markets? And what protections do you think investors need? Well, investors need an awful lot more protection. There's a lot, a lot of apps and a, a lot of discount brokers, et cetera, that certainly make it easy to invest. There's a, a you know, a, I think it's Fidelity is saying, hey, you can invest in a stock for $5. Um, so it's de- pretty all democratic now. But what we don't want to see is ignoring the rules. You shouldn't be giving somebody a margin account without determining that they're suitable for the margin account. That is the rule. Uh, imposed by FINRA, and in this case, it seems to have been ignored. Second, I think that we ought to have a situation where margin accounts are what we call non-recourse. That is to say, if you put money in your account, uh, you can't owe the brokerage company more money. Uh, and and that ought to be the rule for their regular retail investors. To get a statement from your broker saying you've lost everything, if you engage in a risky re- strategy, maybe that could happen. But to get a statement from your broker saying, as this one from Dalek Kern seems to imply, you owe us $970,000, that should never happen. So provided individuals that simply can't afford to trade on margin have restrictions and people are educated on the kind of products that they're investing in, you are happy for, for individuals that otherwise would not have been able to get access to financial markets using this product? Well, this product is first seems to automatically put you in a margin account, which is in violation of the rules. They've got to determine you're suitable before they give you a margin account. This platform seems to push you toward the riskiest trades involving options. Uh, that is not for a normal investor to get involved in, certainly not the beginning uh, of their uh, investing uh, uh, experience. So no, this this option is pushing people uh, toward uh, high risk in violation of the rules and in violation of common sense. Congressman, are you in favor of a ban on this product then until these issues are cleared up? Well, clearly, uh, when you say this product, they can modify I mean, I mean the app, Robinhood app. This, this, the Robinhood app can be modified to comply with the rules. Until it complies with the rules, it shouldn't be used. Uh, and there are no circumstances should they be giving people margin accounts without determining their suitability. They're suitable for margin accounts. And uh, this app doesn't seem to do that. Um, and uh, I think if we look at the app, the, 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 this is a, uh, a firm that is 10, 10 times as much of its business is coming from these high-risk uh, option trading and uh, sometimes double, uh, you know, uh, options on both sides, uh, straddles, etc. Um, so this is an app that seems to be used with margin, whether you're su- suitable or not, options, whether it's suitable or not, and options of uh, trading uh, uh, on margin 
for inexperienced investors with no particular suitability. So I think this app needs a lot of changes. Oh, we shall have to get Robin Hood on to uh, respond to that. But Congressman, great to get your insights and thoughts on this. Um, and we will track the progress. Congressman Brad Sherman, fantastic to have you on the show, sir. Thank you for joining us. Good to be- All right, still to come on First Move. Technology is the service of beating the pandemic. India looks to its contact tracing app to contain new infections. We'll speak to the head of the team behind it after this. Welcome back to the show. India has recorded 40,000 new confirmed cases of COVID-19, its highest daily increase. The country has had a million confirmed infections, the third highest, in fact, in the world. In order to contain the outbreak, the Indian government developed a contact tracing app. It helps determine if you came into contact with someone with COVID in the previous 14 days and tells you the likelihood that you're also infected based on that data. The government says more than 100 million people have downloaded the app so far. Abhishek Singh is the CEO of MyGov at India's Ministry of Electronics and IT, and they created the app. So fantastic to have you on the show. 100 million people plus have already downloaded this app. 500 million people, I believe, have smartphones. That's pretty good work so far. Yeah, I must say it's uh, now 145 million plus people who are using the app. Yeah, and uh, 500 million smartphones in India. Uh, So this is still uh, like doesn't cover the entire population, but it does help in doing effective contact tracing, Bluetooth contact tracing, as well as since our app gets Bluetooth data as well as the location data, we are able to identify hotspots as well as emerging hotspots which are more likely to see a surge in cases in the coming days. So based on the time that people spend who have been tested positive, they have places where they have spent time in the previous 14 days, we are able to predict 10 days in advance, which are the likely areas where containment measures or restrictions need to be put. So that has really helped in controlling the spread of the virus in the bigger cities, like whether Delhi, Mumbai, Gujarat, Ahmedabad. So these cities are past their peak and it's helping containing it. Now, of course, we are seeing a surge in cases uh, outside of the big metros and in the in the other states and all. But the same strategy is going to help us in ensuring that even if people get infected, they are detected in time and effective measures are taken by the health authorities so that our fatality rates remain low, which are actually the lowest in the world. And I, I read as well that you've got a 23% positive rate. So the people that you identify as potentially at risk just under a quarter of them actually get a positive test result. So you clearly are using the tool to identify people that have been exposed and then have caught this. But there'll be a lot of people looking now and and listening to you and saying, what about the people that don't own smartphones? You've only got what? what? Yeah. What what for them? See, what we did was that, of course, there are a lot of large number of people in India, like almost 500 million people who do not have smartphones. So for them, what we did was that for feature phones, we launched a, what we call it as a 1921 Aroke Setu service in which they can give a missed call on uh, on a toll-free number. And then they get a call back. And then the, uh, the IVRS module takes them through the same symptom checker that is there on the contact tracing app. So that allows them to give their symptoms and in case the system detects that there is somebody who is a feature phone and he is showing some symptoms then that information along with his location is shared uh, 
with the health authorities in that geography and then the medical teams and the health teams go and offer him help whether it's testing or whether it's caution or whether it's quarantine so whatever is required the help is extended to them yes we are not able to do bluetooth contact tracing or uh, the app like features are not possible in feature phones but yes it does help in containing the spread of the virus even for those who do not have smartphones yeah so that at least are other options uh, that you're working on here as well abhishek what about data privacy one of the big stumbling blocks that we found in the united states and the uk is people's data how protected is people's data with this app see uh, the app when it was designed to design with a privacy first policy so what we do is that we have built in certain features which ensures that privacy is not violated in any case so the way it works is that the all data of uh, your contact tracing data remains on your phone for all users who have not been detected who have not been found covid positive only in case somebody is found covid 19 positive his data is pushed to the server and that information with regard to who all he has come in contact in the previous 14 days that information is also shared only with health authorities with only with the express purpose of giving them the alert or giving them the information with regard to taking necessary caution or quarantining them or isolating them this data is not used for any other purpose then there are also uh, norms defined with regard to how long a data will remain so all data with regard to people who are not detected covid positive is deleted auto deleted in 30 days for those people yeah. who had uh, found covid 19 positive it remains there for 60 days the maximum is 60 days so all these safeguards have been built in to ensure that there is no violation of any kind of private data in any case I mean that makes yeah. perfect sense to me. You delete the data if these people don't test positive and you get rid of it almost immediately. Very quickly Abhishek cuz I'm running out of time. How long did it take you to to create this app and have you spoken to any other nations perhaps about helping them develop a contact tracing app because it might be really helpful. Yeah, this app was developed in uh, in a period of 15 days flat and it was a classic example wherein the best of indian technical minds from industry from startups from academia they came together with the government and built this app and it was launched on the 2nd of april it uh, got 50 million downloads in 13 days which was the fastest for any such app it we uh, i was told we beat the record of pokemon go and then we reached 100 million in no time and now we are touching uh, we're going to be around 150 million and then wow. the, a lot of other countries have approached us we have had discussions with bangladesh there are uh, other uh, united kingdom also wanted to know about our backend algorithms and we are part of a global community we have had discussion with australia uh, so certain states in united states have also approached us with regard to how it is working understanding I'm the epidemiological basis yeah fantastic epidemiological yeah because We will get you back on to discuss this okay. further because I, I do have to wrap up the conversation here. But fantastic work, you and your team. And uh, yes, flying the flag for tracing around the world. Abhishek Singh there, the CEO of MyGov India. Thank you so much, sir, for joining us on Thank that. You. We're back after this. Stay with us. The global race for a vaccine takes us to the UK now where Anna Stewart joins us with all the details. Anna, what have you got for us? 
Well, we just got the results of the combined phase one and phase two results of the vaccine being developed by the University of Oxford in partnership with AstraZeneca. We're expecting to get these results today. The reason this is so crucial, and I'll, I'll tell you, there are many vaccine candidate vaccines being developed around the world, over 140 now. This is one of the front runners. This is one of just three that are already in phase three of human trials. Phase one results show, they say, that there was a strong antibody and T-cell immune response uh, for over a thousand adults who participated in this study. This is really crucial. We're seeing a growing body of evidence that not only are antibodies very important for immunity, but so are T-cells. It may have much more longevity in terms of protecting people for years as opposed to months. They did a subset study of just 10 participants who had a second dose and those immune responses were stronger there. Um, The less good news, but this is not uncommon. There are side effects with this vaccine. There have been with all of the candidate vaccines that have had their phase one tests and have published them so far. No adverse or serious side effects from the vaccine. That is one of those crucial things you look for in phase one and phase two. Phase three, as I said, is already underway here in the UK, South Africa and Brazil, where the rate uh, of infection is a bit higher. And that is crucial to see whether there are any very rare side effects in a huge population of people, 10,000 people in that study. Uh, And also in real terms, not in a test tube, does it protect people from getting the virus? So what next, Anna? So that phase three is underway already. They've really sped up this process. And you can see that from the combined phasing that they're doing with this testing. Should that all go well, should this get regulatory approval, what you could see is this being one of the very first vaccines that could be available around the world. Now, I know you've spoken to the AstraZeneca CEO. He has told us before that they are ready to churn out this vaccine as early as September They were planning to make around 400 million doses by the end of this year, 2 billion overall by the end of next year. They have supply chains at the ready. They have agreements in place so that this vaccine could be distributed to the UK, Europe, the US, India, as well as developing nations through Gavi and CEPI. Julia? Yeah, it's fascinating. So many questions still about this, but so much hope too. Anna Stewart, great job on that. Thank you so much with that breaking news there. All right, let me give you a quick look at what we're seeing for the markets as we continue out through the session, watching the EU, of course, as well. Those negotiations, fourth day of negotiations set to begin within the next few minutes or so. Can they come up with some kind of financial aid package? A little bit softer here, though. The Nasdaq is outperforming. And that's it for us. Richard's back with Quest Means Business later on this afternoon. But for now, that's it for First Move. I'm Julia Chatterley. Stay safe and I'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.